Good morning, Mimosas, and thank you for selecting the Good Morning Mimosas podcast. It is meant to be your weekly spark of joy. It consists of one part bubbles, a dash of refreshing conversation, and of course, add a little bit of spice. It's a weekly inspiration every Wednesday morning. The podcast will explore different topics on growth, development, connections, and stories that will hopefully inspire you. Feel free, grab your cup of coffee or a mimosa and join us on Wednesdays. Thanks for joining us now to the podcast episode. Good morning and welcome to the Good Morning Mimosas podcast. I am your host, Cheryl Bear. On today's episode of Journey to Four, we talked to Alex, who is a military spouse and a mom of four. We met at the local gym here in Missouri, and I could not be more excited to have her on my podcast. We're actually going to do two episodes together, but she is so positive and inspiring and someone that it has been a joy to get to know over my time here. So excited to be able to share all of it with you. This week's inspirational quote is by Pastor Norgren. It is, we are all a work in progress. Keep that in mind as we dive in. But first, good morning, Alex. Thanks for being on the podcast. Good morning. Thank you for having me. You're so sweet. You're just as inspirational as I am. I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to get to do this with you. I know. And uh, talking about excitement, I'd like to go ahead and just dive in and go for it if that works for you. If you don't mind, tell the Mimosa community a little bit about your background, you and your husband, and kind of your journey at the beginning. So we came together back in 2010. Silly, we were in high school together, but then we wanted to get to know each other, I guess, a few years later through Facebook. And so we actually got together on Facebook. And then I started finding out about all these other dating sites. And I was like, oh, (laughs) we wanted to have kids. We got married. We wanted to have kiddos. And we shortly found out that it was going to be a different journey for us. So we decided to figure out how we were going to go about it. And um, we tried in vitro. We tried, it was called a mini IVF as well. We tried all sorts of things, but then we came to the realization separate, but together at the same time, if that makes any sense, that there's just so many kids that need us here in the community that we were in, which was then Fort Hood, Texas. And uh, that's how we kind of came about. And would you mind talking to us about a little more of the timeline and what that process was for you? I know that as much as everyone would like to think like, oh, you get married, you want to have a kids and then you just have kids and it's, you know, this seamless thing. But the reality is that is not the case for so many families and for so many married couples and so many women, especially, I mean, right. Kind of walk us through the timeline of, Hey, we got married. And then maybe when you started trying for kids, how long, like what, what that process was in terms of like timeline for, for your story. 
so when we got married, I was ready to go, you know, to, and have kiddos. And I didn't realize that I had any issues. So we were lone soldiers, we call it for about seven years. And we were happy through it. We were sad through it. We were all the feelings through it, but, at, but then in, in the bottom of our hearts, we wanted to be parents. Everybody would tell us, enjoy your time alone. And we just weren't that couple. We wanted to, to help each other out um, and, and, you know, have a family. And so we didn't, once we decided to be foster parents, it was 2015. And before that, I had three miscarriages, decided to try with everything I said, IVF, all of that stuff, roughly 15 around. So all of this time I was on medication because when I went in, they found that I had a tumor in my ovary, on my right ovary. And so that was removed. And so at that point, it just red flag after red flag. Um, hey, it's going to be really tough for you to have kids, but there's still hope. So that's what I held on to and come to find out it just wasn't in the cards for us to have biological kiddos, but we love the ones we have just as much. <laughs> Hey mimosas, want a physical spark of joy or know a mimosa who would love to have some mimosa swag? Check out the mimosa market at thebravebear.com slash mimosa market. We have partnered with American manufacturing companies to bring our in-house designs to life. Each purchase from the mimosa market is helping us grow the Good Morning Mimosa podcast so we can keep sharing sparks of joy. Thank you for shopping at the mimosa market. Cheers, mimosas. A little bit about background, and I know you and I, we, we talked about it a little bit, but I think it's something that maybe isn't talked about as frequently, but it's one of those outside variables that can make things more difficult. And would you mind talking about, you know, your family a little bit in the sense of like my family, for instance, we're a small family, you know, my dad's brother had like one you know, him and his wife had one kid, my parents had two, you know, children, not that they weren't a focus of our family, but it wasn't something like, Hey, a big family is not really how our family background is. Um, so my husband, and I, for instance, like not having kids, it wasn't, you know, devastating, but I know in a lot of families and cultures, you know, that is a huge part of it. You know, would you mind talking a little bit about kind of big picture that, and if that, you know, played into your journey at all? Yeah. So it was one thing to talk about being on the medications because these medications tend to give you multiples. And so when other people were so scared and devastated by this thought, we were so excited. So we were like, at least we get it done and it's they're here and we're done. Right. So that part, my family was very supportive but then when we said, we're going to kind of go with a different plan here, and I would hate to say plan B, but that's kind of what, you know, what it resulted to. And it was God's plan A, but our plan B, if that makes sense. And so when we said, we're going to do this foster parent thing, we were just wide eyed. We got wide eyes and 
why are you doing this? And just be happy with your husband and be grateful for what you have. And, and we were, it's just that that wasn't it for us. Um, and so we, we got the super supportive side and then we got the totally opposite of what are you doing? Just cautious, not telling us no, but just cautious. And I think now looking back at it, it was probably to protect us. You know, they probably know that we were going to be heartbroken, which we were, (laughs) we had to let six kiddos go along the way, but eventually you get kind of used to the process and the love that we have for those kiddos don't go away. It's just, you, you learn to, to deal with that. Um, And so I think that now looking back, I know that that's what it was. It wasn't that they didn't want us to be foster parents or have kids. It's just that the way is um, different and none of my, on my side uh, of the family has ever done foster to adopt. And so that was really hard for them to, to come to the realization that we weren't going to be able to have kids of our own. I think you made such a good point there. You know, it is sometimes very hard and scary to process new things. And like anything else, you know, going through the process and even the medication aspect of it, deciding, Hey, let's try to do treatments, mini IVF, things like that. It's scary as the individual taking it on, right? Because it's like, what are the side effects, you know? And I know, um, years ago I took a, uh, a birth control that pill that my hormones were horrible. Like I was all over the place. It, it affected I would say my personality almost so much. And, and, you know, so you have those initial worries, but like with anything else, once you do something, you get more comfortable, the more you do it, but it's a huge, like anything else, it's change and it's hard and everyone takes change differently. Would you mind talking through the medications that you took and kind of, Hey, we decided to try this first and, and good, bad, or indifferent how it, played into your story in terms of like your treatment and and journey. Yeah. So I want to make sure I say I have what's called PCOS. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it doesn't mean that you cannot get pregnant on the opposite. People get pregnant all the time with it. It's just that when I had, I had that, and then I had the tumor in my ovary that just kind of, you know, you have a hormone imbalance and then you have cysts in the ovary that you have, it just makes it extremely difficult. And the tumor that you had, did you have any side effects? Like, did you feel anything? Was there any indication or did you just go for a checkup and then realize it? I did. I went for a checkup and I realized that when he was pressing down that it was very painful. And it's just, I mean, I, I've been a runner for years, never had any pain. Um, we don't know what could have caused this, but it was, it's called a teratoma in other cases. You could just take it out as it is, but it was attached to my ovary. So they just decided let's just go ahead and take all of it. So then we don't leave anything behind and it doesn't, another one doesn't occur. Um, the likelihood of it. 
Now, going back to the medication, I took Clomid for about six to seven months. It's supposed to kind of level out everything and make it like a welcoming place, you know, um, for sounds funny when you talk like this, but it's, it's what I was told. Um, and it's, it, that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to make it, make all your hormones, uh, ready to accept the embryo. It worked, but I had a miscarriage and my miscarriages were anywhere from 10 to 13 weeks. And so it was almost like hitting that second trimester thinking you're out of the scary zone and and, you know, when you're 25, that's the last thing you, you want to, uh, that's the only thing you think about, right? You want to start this family with your husband and you've, wait, you've done the waiting, you've done the thing. And so anyway, so then from there, then the doctor said, well, let's try. And anytime I heard that word, try, it was like, don't want to be, it, it just took me further and further to, I don't want to be an experiment anymore. And it was just, and to the ladies who have done it, I mean, awesome. I'm, that's awesome. But to me, the red flag was the word try. And, and I just felt like I, I could be helping kids right now versus me sitting here trying, I could be doing. And so that was what pivoted it. But anyway, I went through for a couple more months with Uh, what's called progesterone, which is the medication that is supposed to kick off your period. So then you could have intercourse very well planned out because when you throw PCOS and then you throw all of this in, it has to be really calculated. And so again, then after that, that didn't work, had a miscarriage and was just completely devastated. And mind you, every time I, anytime anybody has a miscarriage, it's devastating, but then you throw on these medications that's supposed to make it all work out. And then it doesn't, it just really, it's like, I've been the good student. I've done my waiting now. Give me the prize. You know, it's like, I want to get an A, but it just, you I failed. So or my body failed is what I used to tell myself. And then the third time, um, we were pretty far along about 14 weeks, uh, went to the, to the first ultrasound, everything was fine. Or, um, when they do the Doppler, everything, uh, was fine. And then all of a sudden they couldn't see anything and we could hear the heartbeat. We could hear everything. And then I just hear code talking and all this talk just right in front of me behind the ultrasound. And I just keep seeing doctors coming in. And it was because um, the baby was in the tubes and it wasn't. So now the ovaries gone, the tubes gone. What else is there? Right. So like, I just didn't want to continue to be, and lo and behold, these people are very optimistic. They said, well, we could do an IVF. And I just said, well, hold the phone. I need some time to think through all of this and to really see how far I'm willing to go to, to get what I want. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, Mimosas, consider supporting the podcast by becoming a Mimosa member through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Mimosas. Every Mimosa member will get ad-free episodes. You no longer have to hear ads like this. In addition, depending on the level that works best for you, you can get 10% off of all Mimosa merch in the Mimosa market all day, every day. Bonus content, sneak peeks at upcoming episodes and events coming down the pipeline, episode resources, and so much more. Thank you for considering supporting the podcast through a Mimosa membership. Cheers. I think you brought up such a great point there. Medically, maybe option A, B, C is there, but there's a risk and there's a cost to all of that. And I think it is so important, like you just said, to as much as, you know, doctors go to school and they do amazing things. I have friends that are doctors and they are in school for forever and they're out, they're in it to make people healthier and, and better and, and safer. But at the end of the day, your body is what's going through the ringer and not just your body, but your mind, your heart, your soul, your spirit. I mean, everything. And I think it is so important what you just said of like, Hey, I need to make sure like process this and then make the right decision. Cause you know, sometimes you can make decisions reactionary. Yeah. And instead of, Hey, let's look at all the variables and, and take the time to process things. So, um, no, I think that was a great point. Sorry, go on. No. So we, so after that, we, um, I remember just, I remember my husband having this black pickup truck and, Um, we lived out in Copper's Cove and I started thinking about, I just don't want to do this anymore. Like my heart was just like thinking about it right now. just brings me back to all those emotions, but like, I didn't want to keep putting myself through danger and then potentially having what I want. And then my husband being by himself, raising this child, you know, cause that's where we were headed, you know, up against with treatment and this and that, and I didn't want it to go that far. And so I started working at a daycare <laughs> because I love kids. And that's when, that's when I met this caseworker and she said, I'm here to put eyes. That's what, those are the words she said I was like okay um I'm here to put eyes on so and so and I said all right and then she later on as she she had to visit once a week and after we got to know each other she explained to me that she that this little boy was headed towards adoption and I looked at her and she probably thought I was a weirdo but I was like okay, well, he's great. And she would ask me questions. How's he eating? Like just the basic, how's it going? Does he have what he needs? And yes, he does. And all this stuff. And are the parents doing a great job? Had no idea that these were the foster parents at all this whole time. And I just thought about like, how can I not help, you know? Um, and so the, the thing that we say often together, my husband and I is we have to be the face of Christ to those who don't get that option. When you're a child and you're put in home to home, you could be put in a home to just accumulate more funds, or you could be put in a loving, good home and anywhere in between. Right. And so 
we were in it for the long haul from the very beginning. We wanted permanent, a permanent situation. And that's how we got started. So deciding you guys decided to foster. And then would you mind telling the mimosas? Okay. So we decided to foster and then kind of the timeline of how you went from the two of you to your true journey to four, um, because that, that mom, that number is a, a significant leap there. So would you mind walking through kind of the, the foster journey and aspect that you had there? So let me back up a little bit. We decided to be uh, foster parents. I want to say October of 2015. I remember it being sometimes hot, sometimes cold um, in the afternoons when we had to take these long classes. And so if my timeline's not quite accurate, uh, I apologize, but this is from jogging my memory here um, and four kids in between. So we, um, we had to go to these classes. Sometimes they were so kind because we both worked full time that the agent would come to our house and have just two on one class, which was excellent. So if you guys are interested in a private agency is the way to go. And that's the way we did it. You pay no extra, nothing extra. It's just a little bit more personal. We did that. And (laughs) I remember meeting Denise Mason. And she was so excited that we said yes. And she, she said, are you serious? Like you guys want to do this? And we're like, yeah, (laughs) like, don't make us change our mind. (laughs) And I think it was because we were significantly young and wanted the things that maybe other people would want at the age I'm at now, which is 30. I think that that looking back on it, that's probably why. And I think I would have had the same reaction as her (laughs) if I had met. So I remember being too young to be on the application yet. And I had to wait till January of the next year, which was 16, I believe, to be 27 or 26, one of those numbers. And instead of celebrating, oh, you can blah, 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 you know, whatever you do, whenever uh, you're younger 20, um, we decided to say yes to being foster friends. So we had all of our paperwork together and we were ready to submit. And that's when <laughs> we were like, okay, so how do we want to do this? So Denise came out to the house and it was like an orientation after you've passed all your classes and all this stuff which there can be extensive, um, some of them up to five hours, some of them just one, you know, but they can be quite extensive, um, which I can appreciate too. She came out and she said, well, do you want to be on the emergency contact list? And we looked at each other, my husband being full-time active duty army. And I'm like, I guess, (laughs) this mean so what do I do the next stages so we quickly found out that work doesn't really support this kind of thing so we had to really swing around how we were going to work it so what we did was I used to work the afternoon shift and he worked the um, you know whatever he works all the time 24 7 
He did. He, he kept his own stuff and I changed mine from 5 a.m. to 2. And why? So I could be home the majority of the afternoon. And so never, it, since it was emergency in my head, that's a way that I thought, okay, I'd be more available. But that's not how it worked. I got, we got calls at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., kiddos being um, ripped out of their homes, just, you know, crazy stuff happening. And the cool thing was that this agency, Arrow, they didn't make us say yes. And so there's a CPU unit and then Arrow. So the CPU calls Arrow and then Arrow calls us and they say, hey, you don't have to, but you are on the emergency list. These kids qualify under your, what you want. Like we wanted five and under and you, you're able to say yes to this. Then you're put into this pool of, let's say three other families that said yes at two o'clock in the morning. Um, and then you get told if they chose you, if the child protective unit chose you. And then, um, so we got told no, probably like four times after saying yes, And, um, at first we were like, oh no, we're so devastated. And then you're supposed to fall back asleep and then like have a full day of work. It's fantastic. So we, um, we decided after about a month or two to get us off the emergency list because we needed sleep. (laughs) And so, um, we got a call on a Saturday about, I want to say four ish that a baby girl was born, um, that we needed to say yes quickly because she was going to go quickly. And it was like, I thought I was on an auction, you know, sell for five, 10. And so I was like, uh, hold on. Um, do you want to say yes to this baby girl? We had no, you don't get pictures. You don't get anything. You just get, do you want to say yes? And so we, um, we said, yes. And they said, okay, so you need to have a car seat. You need to have all this stuff before the baby gets there, but she comes in a car seat and you can have this car seat for a a little while and you can actually keep it. But me being OCD and having a baby girl, this is all I've ever wanted. So I went out to Target and Target was my best friend for like the first year of her life. And so they got lots of my pennies. And so I, uh, we did, we were parents of one for a year. I remember celebrating her birthday and knowing when it was her first birthday, we were told a couple of weeks before that, that she wasn't going anywhere. So we were like, we made it, but the going backwards on that roller coaster, it was like, uh, she would get taken to go to visits and all that stuff. And she would come back. The cool thing about having an infant though, is that they don't feel, I mean, they, they could, but it's very minimal. And, um, I learned that because on the journey to four, which we'll talk about that here in just a second, that, um, they felt a lot. They felt the, the dispatch, they felt the excitement too. They felt the neglect when they didn't show up, they felt all of it. So you, you had your daughter. But then what made you decide to 
stay in the system or stay on the list? And was there a number you had in mind to fulfill your family or, or kind of what, what were some variables going on at that time? Oh man, it went from, we're so happy with just one to maybe she needs a partner to what if we do six? Oh, it was just all over the place. We weren't sure what way it was going to go, but we were surely very, very proud of the little girl that we had that we were entrusted with. But moving forward, lots of talking, lots of going back and forth. Are we ready? Can we do two? We're really good with one. (laughs) We went on to to, um, decide and let Denise Mason know, which was our coordinator that, that we were ready to take on more. And we just wanted one more. We didn't really know (laughs) that this was a possibility, but we weren't totally against it either. We had heard that it could be a, a slight chance that they come and in a group. um, And if we were open to that, however, I remember that the caseworker changed over to Jennifer and we were emailing, like introducing one another. And she just in the slightest, I remember she was going to this camp for one of her kids. And she said, Hey, there are, there's a set of three that need to be adopted and their case is closing um, and they need a permanent home. They're in a foster home right now. When our daughter turned one, we were told we were moving to Hawaii. And so we said we were, uh, we were going to close our, our, our foster to adopt. Um, You know, we were no longer going to be on the list in about two weeks. And they said, well, I mean, their case is about to end. You're not going to have the middle of what I talked about them going to visits very much longer. It's probably only going to be for about two or three months. And then the rest of the time you can stabilize them with you and then you move. Well, I was still working full time. He was still, you know, he's still in the army. We have a baby girl. We're used to her and all of the things that she needs. We know her cries, her fake cries, her, her laughs, her giggles, all those things. So you have to know that times four. Are you a business that is trying to find a new way to grow your brand? Consider sponsoring this podcast. Sponsorship range from social media logo posts to ads during the episodes. Sponsorships are a great way to get your message out to new audience while supporting the Mimosa community. Check out the options at thebravebear.com slash sponsorship for more details. Cheers, Mimosas. My oldest one was four. The middle one was two and the baby was eight months. And then Mia was one. So they're significantly close. (laughs) So it's like having twins. So we had a huge decision to make now. Um, So we did what was called, they would come visit us. We would see how she was, how Mia was with the rest of the kiddos. And 
we tried to figure out like what were the kinks and iron them out. Well, they're so little that really looking back at it now, she could have cared less if they can't, you know, she was just so little, but we just wanted to know, I guess, if we could do it really. And so when we were together, you know, and it was the weekend, of course we can do it. We can do anything for a little bit. I remember being so exhausted, like there's no way I can do this. There's no way. And so I get a call hey, that foster family really wants to know if you guys are going to say yes, because if not, they're going to be moved again. I cannot stand the thought of these kids moving anywhere else but my house forever and ever and ever. You have to make a decision. And especially if Hawaii is coming in close, we need to get the, we need to get moving. Okay. So here comes another huge conversation. Can we do this? What are we, how are we going to do it financially, mentally, everything, you know, marriage, all of that and stabilizing them and making sure that they all have what they need because they're coming out of foster care. We need to give them what they need first. And that's so much. They needed so much um, love and attention and all that stuff. So given that, Um, we said yes. And we were so excited about it and so scared, (laughs) but we did it. So we had when they first were adopted, which was May 23rd, 2018, the official date, we had a two-year-old and Olivia, she was five. Wow. How did I do this? And then John just turned two. And Joshua was three. So yeah, I don't know how I did all that. And kudos to everybody that does more than that because I was exhausted. So we were on a flight to Hawaii and that's when all the noise went away. They got a fresh start and we were able to really, really get to know. They were really able to get to know us and we were really able to get to know them. So you became parents with four kiddos. Holy smokes. I mean, clearly I get to see you frequently in the gym and, and we've been able to go on walks and, and talk about your amazing kiddos. And I've even been able to see a few of them, but I've got to ask because, you know, when we think about the mimosa community and kind of what we stand for, we're all about being there for each other, bettering our communities and in our local area and our military communities, our civilian ones. Throughout this whole process, you know, you've really talked about from, you know, your, your miscarriages to the foster care system and, and the changes in the system and then having your full family. What if you could give advice to a mimosa who's maybe going through something similar or someone who has a friend who might be going through it, some tips to like help them through this, their own maybe journey to four. So if you are on the fence and all that's keeping you and you have a good partner next to you you can do anything talk about all of the things that that are on your heart from will we be able to afford christmas for four kids will we be able to keep up with four emotional beings just walking around are we going to be able to do this and We didn't say yes to all of those things, but we said we could work towards being better at 
whatever it was we were concerned with emotions, being there for them, just loving on them. But at the end of the day, like I said, we're all a work in progress. So even from us coming from broken homes, both of us, we knew that we definitely knew what we didn't want. And so we were sure as heck going to give them the best we could. And coming, coming, stepping into our house, we already had something in common, the kids and us, we both came from broken homes. So we start, if you put, if you launch off of that and you're wondering what could I, what could I give these kids? You can give them so much that doesn't even have to do with your wallet, you know, and there's so much that you can do. And there's also not just adopting, there's respite care, there's just emergency. You can be only emergency if that's what your heart is called out to be. There's so many ways to help. Our journey was just, we wanted a family. And so maybe you already have your family, you know, but you want to help out the community. There's ways to do it. We are good. And I hope the Lord's not laughing at me every time I say that, um, that we are set and we're good to go. But we have always talked about hosting around any breaks that the kids have when they get older to show them that it's, it, we're, we're just because we're here and we're, we have the things that we need. And a lot of what we want doesn't mean that we don't have enough to, to show love to other people, um, meaning children that need a weekend to stay or whatnot, that would be under respite care. So I was, I say, if you have a good partner by your side and you can gauge that perspective, you know, meaning if you can say, I'm going to have four kids under the age of five, and it's going to be perfect, then this isn't for you. But if you're going to say, I'm going to have four kids and we're going to struggle together and it's going to be hard and it's going to be a journey that (laughs) that's going to make you want to quit sometimes, but you get through it, then do it. You know, you got to have some grit. Well, Alex, I've enjoyed spending this, this morning with you and sharing your incredible story. You know, I know so many women and couples and families go through this and, you know, just sometimes hearing someone else's story just makes other people. And I certainly makes me and and my journey certainly different, but it just, it makes you feel more sound and more aware of what maybe others are doing and going through. So for the mimosas that are um, out here listening again, that quote for this week by pastor Norgren is we are all a work in progress. If you know of anyone in your community, or maybe it's just, you have a friend who's a mom that's burnout, like go plan something, do something engaging, you know, reach out to one another and be kind and be gracious. Please feel free. Let us know by following us on Instagram at good morning mimosas on, you can always email us at good morning mimosas.podcast at gmail.com or on our website, thebravebear.com slash GMM. Until the next episode, please leave us some feedback on whatever platform you may be listening to this podcast on, as well as follow us on Instagram at goodmorningmimosas. Of course, send us an email at goodmorningmimosas.podcast at gmail.com. You literally never know who needs this mimosa community. So please consider sharing this with friends and family or anyone else 
who could use a spark of joy. Stay safe, stay healthy, and please keep sharing those sparks of joy. Cheers, mimosas.